If you have your Bibles, if you want to join me in Romans chapter 11, we're going to get over there. Last week we talked about the truth about judgment. The truth about judgment. And we were here last week, and of course, it was a quieter service. It was a quieter service. Whenever you start preaching on judgment, of course, people sometimes, of course, it's good that we, we sober up and that we look inwardly. Because judgment is a powerful, powerful force upon the heart of every man. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 27, it says, For it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And we know that every human being, whether believer or unbeliever, will face judgment in some form. And we've been, uh, last week we just started looking into the basic concepts uh, of judgment. This week we're going to continue, and I'm going to call this message this week, The Judgment Seat of Christ. Now I'm going to give you a little heads up here this morning, that some of the things that you're going to hear are going to be difficult to hear. There's going to be things that could be said here today that, that very well could provoke your emotions. You may cry. You may be, you know, quiet. You may uh, 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 hear a message like this and, 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 and feel uh, uh, nervous in, in, in some way. Please know that our goal here is not to just provoke emotions. Our, here is to pre- our, our reason for being here is to preach truth. Amen. But whenever you start talking about a subject of this magnitude, it starts to pull on people, as it should. Because judgment is a powerful force. And we're living in the days and the times when churches will not preach this message. So many churches have walked away from the idea uh, that there is even such thing as eternal judgment. There's men writing books and publishing books. Christian pastors, uh, pastors saying that there's no such thing as hell. And there's no such thing as eternal judgment. Some pastors believe that uh, people might go to hell for a time. And then sometime in the future, they will be let out. That God will just, you know, uh, uh, you know forgive them and give them complete am- amnesty. And they'll get to get out of hell and go into heaven. But folks, we need to realize that there's things that are written in the Bible that are, aren't going to change. You can't change them with a book that's written by a man. You can't change them with man's opinion. Just because you might not believe it doesn't doesn't make it to cease to be true. Just because it doesn't make you comfortable, maybe you don't like it. I'll tell you what, regardless of, of whether you like it or not, it's true. Regardless if you like this church or not, it's true. Regardless if you like me or not, it's still true. Amen. The word of God is true. And we're going to get in today, and we're going to look at words that Jesus spoke. And we would never dare call Jesus a liar, nor would we dare to contradict his words. So I've just given you a little bit of a heads up. If you don't hear all the shouting and the amens today, now praise God for, for amens. And, you know, we, we, we like to rejoice at the truth here at Family Church. Because most of the time we're hearing things that are, are so encouraging, they're uplifting. And and this message might not seem to be those things. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing better when the people of God, they correct themselves and and, and judge themselves and get going the right way for God. Because what are we here for? Are we here to have a a social outlet? Christianity is not a hobby. No matter how much you try to turn it into a hobby, no uh, no matter how much you try to turn it into a country club, no no matter how much you try to turn it into a Starbucks, you know, it's not those things. It's the holy house of God, a place that it should be uncompromising with the truth of God's word, regardless of how comfortable it makes us feel. 
So today we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Last week we went to Romans 11.22. We're going to get there here in a moment. And we see kind of the two sides of God here. Now we see the, the extremes of God. And it says in verse 22, it's that Paul talking about the Jews, yet he's talking to the Christians. He says, behold therefore the goodness and severity of God. This is what we have to understand. The goodness of God and the severity of God. Now, we were singing the song of, uh, of the grace of God, the, the forgiveness uh, of sin. Wonderful. That's the goodness of God. How many of you have received the goodness of God? Hallelujah. You've received Jesus into your heart. You've been a recipient of God's goodness. But it says we must also behold the severity of God. All right, the severity of God. Now, it goes on in this verse to tell us who the goodness is for and who the severity is for. And it says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but towards you the goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also shall be cut off. Now, this verse is talking about the Jews who rejected Jesus who rejected, the, uh, rejected him as their king, rejected him as the Messiah, rejected him and put him on the cross. And the Bible says because of their unbelief, the Jews were cut off. Now, of course, not all Jews. There's believing Jews, praise God. There's still an opportunity for the Jews to believe. They have the same opportunities as we do. Yes. But we're talking about those that reject Christ. The severity of God is reserved in store for those that reject, for those that fall for those that will not believe. Towards us that believe, the goodness of God is reserved. Amen. Now, aren't you glad you're a recipient of goodness? Yes. Now, but notice also that those who have received God's goodness, if they will not continue in God's goodness, that they can be cut off. They can be removed from the goodness of God. Don't you dare let anyone teach you that doctrine that is going around the body of Christ today, it's been going around for traditions for years. It says, once saved, always saved. Just because they prayed a prayer when they were eight years old does not make them a Christian. Come on. You're right. Amen. Amen. Just because, you know, they, they, they had one moment, you know, we need to understand that. It says, behold the goodness and severity of God. Now, we will get into, there are people that make Jesus their Lord and they start to walk away. And one of two things will happen. Either they'll be judged on this earth, they'll be handed over to Satan here so that they'll be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I know several people that had made Jesus their Lord, and, but they never committed to a life of following him, and their lives were cut short here so they were, would, would be spared eternal punishment. God is so good. That's the mercy of God. That's the mercy of God. But I tell you what, we have to be careful because there is such a doctrine going around in the body of Christ today that says, you know what, once you get saved, you can just do whatever you want to do. You can live the way you want to live. You know, uh, 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 teenagers out there, everyone's running around, premarital sex, drugs, the whole, the whole nine yards, but yet they still think they're Christians. They're sitting down there at happy hour. They're getting drunk in the bar. They're stumbling on home every night. But yet when they're asked, they try to convince you that they're believers. No, true belief will show up in your lifestyle. Yes, it will. Yes, now, here's the wonderful news that God is patient as long as we keep growing. 
You know, there's stuff in our life when we become a new believer that doesn't, you know, get out of our lives right away. But as long as we're moving forward for God. But there's those that they move forward for a while and then they start moving backward. And then one year and two years and ten years goes by and they keep rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. You know? And the Bible says that we have to be careful. Because if we don't continue in the goodness of God, there is a chance that we could be cut off as God's chosen people, just like the Jews were cut off as God's chosen people. I'll tell you what, and if you read this passage of Scripture, I'll tell you what, God loved and still does love the Jewish people. And I'll tell you what, uh, uh, how it pained him to have to turn his back on the Jews and to reach out to the Gentiles, you know. I'll tell you what, but he did that because it was necessary. Judgment is a truth that we can't ignore. It will happen if we are not careful as believers. Amen. Go with me in your Bibles. We are going to go over to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Today we're going to talk about some, some of the higher forms or the biggest forms of judgment. We're going to start with talking with eternal judgment. Now remember, remember what Jesus said? We read it last week in Matthew 23, 23. He told the Pharisees, he says, Oh good, you tithe everything you own, but yet you've omitted the weightier matters of judgment, mercy, and faith. He said, you be blind guides. He says, if you omit the teaching of judgment, you're a blind guide. I realize that as a leader of a local church, I don't want to be a blind guide. So I cannot omit the teaching on judgment. I can't omit it. Because I don't want to be a blind leader. You don't want to be following a, a, a blind leader, right? People that hide things from you. I'll tell you what, this is, a, this is something that we all must consider. We have to understand that there is a reckoning day. Amen. <laughs> Let's go over there. Now, I'm just going to give you a review, of course, uh, uh, the definition of what judgment is, what we're talking about here. Judgment is a decision to pass sentence. It's a decision to pass sentence for the cause of justice or mercy based upon the intentions and motives of the individuals in question. It's to render judgment or to pass sentence for justice or mercy based upon the intentions and motives of the individuals in question. It is a revealing of the unseen thoughts and secrets and the pursuits of man's heart. Judgment is a revealing of your pursuits, all right, of what you pursue. What you hear, the, the holy hush is already settled in this crowd here today because we know that this is, this is a, a heavy topic. You know, of course, we don't preach on a topic like this every week. You couldn't only preach this topic, but it has to be included. It has to be included. And I tell you what, I hope today as you sit and you hear this message that there is just a holy motivation that builds up in you I'll tell you what, just to, to give up the old status quo life, start winning people to the Lord. You are the greatest evangelistic tool that this church has. You are going to be the ones that are going to win this city and, and the people you yes. love and care about. You are yes. the greatest example of Christ that people have. That's right. And they need you to be walking in this sober reality. Hallelujah. And a passion and a desire to see men be withheld from judgment. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's a revealing of the unseen pursuits and secrets of men. There are earthly or temporary forms of judgment, and there are eternal forms of judgment. 
Judgment is the ultimate form of justice, and it's based upon the witness of God, the one who sees everything without partiality. We know that all judgment will be based upon the witness of God without partiality. All right, let's talk about, now we're going to start with the bigger forms of judgment, and we're going to kind of work our way down into more specific ones. Let's first talk about eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. Now know this, eternal judgment just means any decision that God makes that would affect your eternity. Know this, there will be eternal judgment, not just for unbelievers, but there's eternal judgment or decisions that will affect our eternity as well. Eternal judgment isn't just based on whether you go to heaven or hell. It's based on what happens once you get there. Okay? We need to understand that there's decisions that believers make. You could be born again, heaven-bound, living for God, but there's decisions that you make or you don't make that still will affect your eternity, even if you spend eternity in heaven, right? All right. So let's talk about eternal judgment. Let's, let's first deal with eternal judgment for unbelievers. Last week we said that there are four classes of persons that receive judgment, right? Number one, Christ. Christ received the judgment of the world, didn't he? God placed that judgment on him so it does not have to be placed on us. Here's the good news right off the top, that we don't have to face eternal punishment. We don't have to face eternal fire. Jesus delivered us. He took that judgment for us. Amen. So Jesus was the first one to be judged. And then the second one to be judged was Satan. Right? Remember how Jesus said, the prince of this world, talking of Satan? He is judged. See, this is what we, for, we fail to, to, to remember. Satan has been judged already. He isn't waiting any further more judgment. There will come a day when he will be cast into the lake of fire. But the Bible says that Satan, and all that he is, he's been judged already. Hallelujah. That means, that means his power has been removed. He has been stripped and whipped. All right? And we need to understand that. But the third class of, of folks that will face judgment are, are unbelievers. Those that do not believe upon Christ. We're going to look here real quick into the eternal judgment that unbelievers face. Now, just a reminder, some of these things that you're going to hear are going to be difficult to hear. This is some of the, uh, uh, the stronger uh, language in the Bible. And like I said, it's going, to provoke, it's going to provoke you today. You're going to walk out of here a different person. I will guarantee you, you will either walk out of here inspired to, 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 to live for God in a higher level, or you'll get calloused and you'll reject and, and you'll refuse the word of God. And I'll tell you what, you'll, you'll be what the Bible says, you'll be heaping hot coals on your own head. You've got to be careful about that. Here we go. Let's go to Revelation 20 and verse 11. Every unbeliever will face what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment. Folks, this is not a fairy tale. This is not allegorical. This is not metaphorical. This is not a representation. It's not a story. This is reality. Every human being has to think and consider these things. Amen. And if you are one of those ones that just say, well, the Bible's just filled with a bunch of stories, it's not true. No, the Bible is a historical book. 
it is historically accurate. People say, no, do you really believe that Noah's Ark really happened? Yes, I do, because Jesus said it really happened. Right? Right, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, as it was in the days of knowing, as he was of knowing, Noah, Noe is the Greek one, he does say that, I'm quoting the New Testament. As in the days of Noah, he said, so it will be, when, when Noah was preparing the ark, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man's return. That people will be eating and, and, and drinking and carrying on and given to marriage and everything will be proceeding naturally. See, and then all of a sudden Jesus said, I will come back. Absolutely. Jesus said Noah's ark took place. So we have to reconcile. Either Jesus was a, 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 a supporter of fairy tales or he was telling the absolute truth. He was telling the absolute truth. So don't you dare believe that the Bible is just filled, well, these stories don't pertain to me. They don't pertain to you. They don't really represent a reality. Yes, they represent a true, specific reality. Revelation chapter 20, and let's start there in verse 11. This is yet in the future. This is prophecy concerning the great white throne judgment. He says, John the Apostle writing by the Holy Spirit, he says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. That word dead there means spiritually dead. Not just naturally dead. So this is not a place for those that are born again. Because the Bible says that we have received the life of Jesus. Right? The Bible says that we have life and have it more abundantly. Right? So this is not talking about a place where Christians go. This is talking about the spiritually dead or unbelievers. And he says, I saw the dead, small and great, meaning some were of of notoriety, some had earthly fame, some had great earthly importance, some didn't. He said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books, plural, were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, here's what we must understand. Even unbelievers have every deed and every word recorded. Now, notice it said that there was books, plural. And the Bible says that in heaven, that every action and statement of man is being recorded. Your life, every day, is being written in a book in heaven. And the Bible says that unbelievers will stand before God and he's going to open up those books and he's going to read them back to them their life. Their life is going to be displayed on the pages of a book and God himself will open and read it back to them. See, God will not be blamable. God's going to make perfect, just decisions. He's going to remind them of when they were warned, when they could have been saved, when they could have been helped all the opportunities that he brought into their path to help them. God loves the unbeliever. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, let me read the first half of that verse. It says, God demonstrates his love for us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Meaning that God loves the sinner. He sent his son. And God was going to show every unbeliever where he tried to reach them. And the books were opened, and everything they did, every one of their deeds was recorded. Let's keep reading in verse 13. 
And it said, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Those that right, were, were dead in the sea. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. Death and hell, I'm not going to get into the theology of this, but death and hell as it stands right now is a compartment that where unrighteous people go until they wait their eternal standing in hell. And it says, death and hell gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. Everything they did, even unbelievers, will be judged by what they did. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So first of all, the books of their life, their deeds will be opened up and read. And then there was another book there. And the, the book of life, it's a book that contains all the names of people that have received the impartation of the gospel, eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen. And if your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, then the, the only other option is eternal fire and the lake of fire forever and ever. Now, this is, a, this is a stark reality. This is what every unbeliever is facing. This is the, the eternal judgment that unbelievers face. Now, it's a sentence. It's a sentence of judgment of eternal hell. I'm going to give you some facts now concerning uh, the, the place called hell. We're living in a day where people say that hell doesn't exist. People don't want to hear the, the preaching on it. People are writing books and they're getting churches with, with thousands and thousands of people because it is very popular to hear a message that, that hell isn't a real place. And, and, and they're, they're, they're building their country club-like churches. And it's all based upon their, you know, their, their concert-like music and, and you know, their, their cafe and, and all this stuff. And, and, and these men are writing books about there's no such thing as hell. They're getting thousands and thousands of people there, but they be blind guides. That's right. Blind guides. Sure. And they teach people hell is not something, you know, anyone has to think about. It's not really a, a reality. It's not something that people will have to stay in forever. And what they do is they remove the conscience that is in man. And all of a sudden, man starts believing that they won't face this day. And so they don't prepare for that day. Right, 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 right. If you don't believe you're going to face it, then you're not going to prepare for it. Right, right, you're right. That's absolutely right. Now, real quickly, for the sake of time, I'm going to run through some things. I'm not going to have you turn your Bible to every, everything we talk about here. But I'm going to show you some things concerning hell and eternal judgment. First of all, it's just that. Number one, it's everlasting. Jesus is not a liar. You can just look up here at the, at the screen. Jesus said, Matthew 25, 41, let's bring that up. He's talking about the day of the judgment. He says, then he shall say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now notice hell was never prepared for humanity. Heaven was prepared for humanity. And the only reason people ever go there is because they rejected Christ. Now he says, you're cursed into everlasting fire. Everyone say everlasting. everlasting. I did a real intense Greek study on the word everlasting, and I found out that it means everlasting. It means forever, right? Verse 46, Jesus said the same thing. He says, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into life eternal. Now, who's doing the speaking here? Jesus Christ. He called 
the, the fire everlasting. He called the punishment everlasting. It's not something that will ever stop. Right. It is eternal. That makes this life incredibly important. Yes, it does. This life is the one shot that humanity has That's right. That's right. to make sure that we're not separated from God That's eternally. Right. Your decisions matter. It matters now. Your life that you're living, it matters right this day. Hallelujah. The good news is if you're going the wrong direction this morning, today's the day you start going the right direction. Because you got, as long as you got a pulse in your veins, right, and you got air in your lungs, there's still hope, there's a chance. You can just, it's as simple as matter as you calling on the name of the Lord, giving your life to Christ, and you'll never have to face that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The second thing I want to show you is that hell is not only everlasting, it's a place of torment. I'm going to bring up Luke chapter 16 in verse 20, and I'm going to read this passage. As I read, just go ahead and keep the verses coming up. It says, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Now, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus isn't telling a fictitious tale. He's telling, he says, there was a certain beggar, a certain man named. He's not saying this is a, a parable. This isn't a story. This is a true account. He said, Jesus says, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate. Remember how Lazarus was laying at the rich man's gate? Lazarus was a beggar who was at the rich man's gate asking for food and so on. He was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So this man is in in bad shape. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23. And in hell. Now Jesus is saying this. And in hell. In hell. It's not a thought. It's not a fair. It's a real place. Because this man is now in there. And this rich man, being in torments, here's the second thing I want you to understand, that hell is a place of torment. The Greek word for torment there, it is torture. Torture. The Greek word there is actually literally the word for the torture rack. A device used to torture humanity. I know. It's quiet. These, these, are, these, are, these are heavy truths to digest, aren't they? I know maybe, maybe you're here today because it's Easter season. You know, and, and people, we, we start to think, well, this is the time of year where I need to get religious. You know, and believe me, I, I so appreciate that there's visitors here. I love this time of year because people do start thinking that way. They start thinking, I do need to be in church. But sometimes people, that, they casually visit a church and they hear a message like this and they think, oh, I just, I can't bear that. I don't want to handle it. I don't want to take it. Folks, this, is, this message is not to hurt anybody. This message is to help you, to inspire you. I'll tell you what, if you're not saved, today you get saved. If you are saved, today's the day you start living like it. <laughs> today's the day you become a raging evangelist where you walk into your, your, your place of work and you, with, with a lot of tact, and of course, with a lot of love and care, you lovingly tell, tell the people about Christ and what God has done in your yes, life. Yes, yes. Hallelujah. Hell is a place of torment and torture. And this rich man was in it. Verse 24. And the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
Notice people in hell are crying out for mercy, and there will be none. Everyone in hell has the faith to be saved. They know what it takes at that point. Everyone in, everyone in hell is confessing the name of the Lord right now. But there, there will be no mercy. Have mercy on me, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you are tormented. What is the response? There will be no mercy. The mercy isn't found for people in hell. Mercy is available right now in this life. Hallelujah. And he says, besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf or a separation fixed, so that they which would pass from here to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from there. The Bible's telling us there will be no leaving that place. There's a great gulf fixed separating heaven and hell. People out of hell will never leave and go into heaven. That's absolutely right. Notice he cried out for water, and there was none. There was no water there. Yet he was in flame. Verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. Now notice, he was in hell. He said, well, since there's no help for me, then send somebody to my father's house. He says, for I have five brothers, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place. That's right. Everyone say place. place. It's a place. It's real. And he says, don't let my brothers who are still on the earth come to this place of torment. Send somebody to them. Send somebody to talk to my brothers. Just think, people in hell, they have knowledge of their loved ones. Yeah. Knowledge of their loved ones. And yet they're powerless to help them. Think about that. He says, don't let... Heavy message, isn't it? Amen. It's a place of torture, so much that the people... Now notice the people in hell, maybe the ones that never had any mercy on anybody, only cared about themselves, and now once they're there, they care about everybody else. They care about everybody else. Hell is a place of torment. Verse 29. Actually, we'll just stop it right there. Let's go to the, let's go to, uh, the third fact. Not only is it everlasting, it's a place of torment. But Jesus says it's a place of outer darkness. Matthew 8, 11, and 12. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's me and you. <laughs> Aren't you glad? He's talking about there's going to be many Gentiles that will enter into the kingdom of heaven, people that never had a covenant with God through the Jewish covenant, and they'll come down and we're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, Hallelujah. That's wonderful, but now look at verse 12. It says, But the children of the kingdom, meaning the Jewish people that rejected Christ, shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus speaking about hell. All right. He said it'll be a place of outer darkness. Remember back there in the book of Exodus, in the ten judgments that came against Egypt? Remember how one of the judgments was a darkness so heavy and so thick that it could be felt? 
The Bible says that the darkness was so heavy, it was like a blanket. And now Jesus is giving that same kind of idea to the place of hell. Yet it's filled with flames, but yet it's filled with complete darkness. People in hell will be completely isolated. Completely isolated. They will never again enjoy a, a conversation with another human being. They will never again hear an intelligible word spoken. They will only hear weeping and screaming. There will never be an intelligible word spoken ever again. It, it, it'll be a place where, where the darkness is so thick, it's so isolating. It's definitely a reference to depression and anxiety. It'll be a place of complete despair, a place of complete depression, of complete and utter anxiety and mental illness. It's filled with outer darkness. The fourth thing I want to show you is that in hell there's chambers or jail cells. Proverbs 7, 27. It says this, it says, Her house, speaking of the prostitute, those that go unto the prostitute. It says, Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. The word chambers meaning jail cells. There will be uh, jail cells there. There will be people that are incarcerated and isolated. All right? Think of, I mean, you can't even imagine the level of, of distress in this place. Jesus said, the fifth thing I'm going to show you is that hell has tormentors. Tormentors. Matthew 18, 34. Believe me, I knew when this message is coming, I mean, dear Lord, let this cup pass from me. I would rather not preach this. But I tell you what, if it revives a spark, if it revives zeal in you, I tell you what, if it sobers you up and you go home, you get right, maybe it starts right here today, you get right with God, you consider yourself and judge yourself in your life and you turn and go another direction, or let's say you're going the right direction right now, but you just turn up the heat, so to speak, and start talking to people and loving people with a whole new desire to win people to Christ. It says in Matthew 18, 34, Jesus speaking again. These are all the words of Christ. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Verse 35. So likewise, so likewise, so likewise, they'll be delivered to tormentors. Shall my heavenly Father also do unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. But I'll tell you what, that'll make, that'll, that'll make you think differently about that grudge you're holding against somebody. People in hell are there because they won't forgive. They won't forgive. They love controversy because it gives them leverage. It feels like some people, they just love the controversy. They love being mad at someone because they think that it gives them power. There's no power in unforgiveness. There's only power in forgiveness. Forgiveness is where the power is. But Jesus said, so likewise, the Heavenly Father will have no other choice but to hand people over to tormentors. Tormentors. That word tormentors, it means those that are professional torturers. I don't know exactly all what that means in hell, but Jesus said that there are tormentors there. The sixth thing I want to show you is that Jesus said that in hell there are worms and parasites. Mark chapter 9. Can we go over there? Mark chapter 9, verse 43. Maybe I didn't include that one on the list. 
We'll bring that up here in a second. Mark chapter 9 and verse 43. Jesus says, if your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never, never shall be quenched. I need to show you. Actually, can you go back to verse uh, 40? Go to the next verse, verse 44. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So it's a place of the worm. That word worm is a Greek word for maggot, meaning a flesh-eating parasite. How can that be? How can somebody die on this earth and then die eternally, and yet they have flesh there, and that flesh is burning, but the flesh never dies? The flesh is being eaten by worms, but never dies. I know this is a gruesome and grotesque thing, but this is the word. And people, there's going to be somebody that walks out of this and they're going to be disgusted. Listen, receive this and humble yourself and worship God and realize what you've been saved from through Jesus. You don't ever have to see those tormentors. Not that worm, not those chambers, not that outer darkness, not that fire, not that torment. This is what Jesus saved you from. And time doesn't permit me to talk about the fact that there, I've already mentioned some of these things, but there will be no water, there will be no fellowship, there will be complete isolation, you will, uh, people in hell will never hear another intelligible human word again, there will be no rest, there will be no sleep, there will be no quiet there will be no kindness forever. Ne they'll never hear another kind word. They'll never be spoken to positively again. Never. So we have to understand, and, and I don't even have all the time to go into it. I did teach a series a few years back called The Truth About Hell, and there's several CDs in that, that uh, uh, series of messages. You're welcome to order those. It's not something that a lot of people are sitting around listening to a whole lot of. But I tell you what, the body of Christ today, what the, what the body of Christ needs in America is a healthy reality of judgment. Yes. They need the, to, to get their focus back on the gospel of Christ and realize that this drive-through mentality, that this you know, one foot in, one foot out, uh, tradition, religious thing, it's got to go. It's got to go, and America needs to wake up. And they need to understand that we have to win souls. And we have to be faithful to God. Yes, that's right. So we talked about the judgment against unbelievers. Let's talk real quick here about the judgment for believers. What we will face in eternal judgment. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's start in verse 10. While you're turning there, if you want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and hold your place there, we're going to go to that next. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5 and then over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Are you learning something here today? People say, oh, Pastor Tim, go back to preach it on faith. Go back to be, you know, preach it on redemption. Come on, let's go back to preach on healing. Well, yeah, we do preach those things, don't we? But the Bible says we have to understand the weightier matters. Judgment being the first one. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, 
It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone, talk about every Christian. See, the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment seat for Christians. This is, where, this is the judgment that we will face if we're born-again believers. The great white throne is not a place that any born-again Christian will ever be at unless they reject Christ. Okay? We that have received Christ and have stayed faithful will come before the judgment seat of Christ. And now the rest of the verse tells us why we'll be there. It says that everyone may receive the things done in his body or how he acted in this life according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Notice Christians can be guilty of bad living, but yet they can still go to heaven, but they're going to face the judgment seat of Christ, all right? Here's some simple facts concerning the believer judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to give you the who, why, and when, and so on. The who are believers. When, when will this take place? Sometime between the rapture and the second coming of Christ, we will face this judgment. The next great prophetic thing that will happen is the rapture of the church, where the believers of Christ will be raptured off this earth, and then we will go immediately to the judgment seat of Christ. To what? To receive. Everyone say receive. receive. He says that we may receive the things that we've done in the flesh, whether good or bad. Wow. So there is still a judgment. There is, there is still a sentence yet to be passed, even on believers. Even our life as believers, we will have to give an account. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Now look at verse 11. He says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Don't hear too many sermons titled that. Today our sermon is going to be called, The Terror of the Lord. Can you imagine stepping into some of these Christian conventions? <laughs> Could you imagine stepping into some of on uh, 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 Christian TV? Can you imagine during the telethon, the pressureathon? <laughs> you know, when they're raising money for their, I understand they have to raise money. I just don't agree with putting pressure on people. Don't you ever, TV stations should not ever be on there telling Christians that they should send their tithe to a TV station. You're supposed to send your tithe to your local church. I don't care if it's a Baptist church, Methodist church, family church, it don't matter. Wherever your church is, you don't send it to a TV station. And all these, all, all the pressure-a-thon tactics or anything. But you imagine, you know, and next we have our special guest speaker, so-and-so, and he's going to get up there, and he's going to encourage you to give. And all of a sudden, the gentleman steps up there on the telethon and says, today my message is called the terror of the Lord. Actually, that might work. <laughs> you know, you don't see too many messages called the terror of the Lord. Paul says, he says, we understand that we're going to face the judgment seat of Christ. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What's he saying? Knowing therefore the severity of God. Yes. He said, we persuade men. That's what I'm doing here today. Yeah. I'm here to persuade you. All of our faithfulness levels can go to another, another place, Good. can it? Yeah. Good. Right. Yes. He says, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. 
and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Paul's saying the words that I speak are going to hit straight to the core of your conscience. Today's the day of change. Today's the day of wake up. He's saying because you will face the judgment seat of Christ and you will receive based on what you've done in this body. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to get to some encouraging stuff here in a moment. And yes, we are taking communion today. But how many of you know the word has to come first? 1 Corinthians 3.11. Look at this. He says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation you can build on in this life. He says, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Everyone say receive. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now notice there's people, they step before the judgment seat of Christ, and their work, their lives, what they pursued, what they built, will be tested with fire. And if it remains, the Bible says that they receive a reward. So here's the good news. At the judgment seat of Christ, it's not just something that's there to take away from us. It's a way for God to reward us for our faithfulness and our diligence. But if our work burns up, if we never built correctly, if we never pursued God, if we were never you know, uh, committed and sold out to him, our work will burn up. And now it says that even at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll suffer loss. Suffer loss. How do you suffer loss? Where does this take place? It takes place in heaven. This is for believers sometime after the rapture in heaven, and yet here they are standing before Christ, and they suffer loss. What does that mean? Loss of rewards. God will show them, this is what I had for you. This are, these are the people you could have influenced. These are the people that could have been saved. These are the ones that could have been spared judgment by the witness of your faithfulness and with your testimony. Here are the ones. Here's what you could have done. Here are the rewards I did have for you. But now I can't give them to you because your work burned up. Because you were too busy pursuing something else. You were too locked up into your golf or you were too hooked up into your boat or you were too uh, overwhelmed with your sin you were too selfish about your time you were too in love with your money and all this stuff and now your work burned up and here are the rewards that you won't get wow pretty heavy duty verse 16 know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Wow. 
I don't see that verse cross-stitched on any pillows or doilies or anything. If you defile the temple of God, meaning if you defile yourself, remember, you're the temple of God. You are the home of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that if you defile yourself, God will have no other choice but to destroy you. Wow. Aren't you glad for the blood of Jesus? Aren't you glad to be washed and cleansed? I'll tell you what, if there was ever a time to live faithful, a message like this. Why do we stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ? To receive good or bad based on our spiritual habits. God rewards spiritual habits. You'll give an account for them. Now notice it says that one soul will not be lost for deeds that are repented from and confessed. Though they will still suffer consequences. You know, isn't God forgiving? God can forgive your sin. Aren't you so glad? When you make a mistake, if you fell into sin and you repent and you said, Lord, cleanse me and wash me. He's so, so faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, right? Right? According to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Aren't you glad? But here's what we fail to understand. There's a perversion in the grace message today. The grace message says, you're under grace, so you go out and you sin like a heathen, and you're still under grace. No! That's not the definition of grace. That's not the definition of grace at all. You know? The Bible tells us that, you know, grace is the ability to serve God with all of our hearts. It was the grace of God while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Right. But he died to change us. And, and, and when, we, when we think that our actions don't matter, we think that we can live any old way we want to as Christians, it's just not true. It's, it, it's not true at all. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. We act like, well, since my, God will forgive me for what I do, therefore I'm going to go out and I'm going to live this way, I'm going to do this. Yeah, God might forgive you, but there's still going to be consequences. You can fall and make, you know, make some terrible mistakes, but there will be things that you will lose. God won't cast you out just you know, if you repented and confessed. How many of you know there's still consequences? Even when you're forgiven, there's still consequences. Amen. Praise God for, for the, the forgiveness of God. Praise God for a plan B. But sometimes when we fall, it still costs the kingdom something. (laughs) For those of you who are visiting, I'm much nicer than this. (laughs) People are probably visiting like, oh, Pastor Tim, you know. (laughs) You know, I got to obey God. This is a message for our church for this hour. So we'll end here. What are our rewards? So what will we get there? Here's the good news. Let's end on a high note. Amen? <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says this. He says, I have fought a good fight. Remember the good fight of? Faith. So he fought a good fight of faith. He says, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I stayed in faith. 
I stayed releasing my faith. I lived like I believed. I said I believed. I lived like it. I did all the works that God called me to do. I finished the assignment on my life. Do you know there's an assignment on your life? Yes. The Bible says over there in Ephesians 2.10 that you are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus and he has prepared good works in advance for you to do. That's the only way you're ever going to finish this course or this race. Complete the assignment that God has for you. That's what you should be praying. Lord, I pray that all the works that you prepared in advance for me to do, I pray that they're done. Lord, show me my works. Show me the the assignment. Show me the deeds that you've prepared for me. That's what I want to do. And Paul says, I've done that. And now look at verse 8. He says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. So remember, here's Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says there is a crown of righteousness for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Everyone say, that day. day. That's the judgment seat of Christ. So at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, isn't that nice for Paul? How nice that Paul's going to get a crown. Boy, you know, I guess we'll just have to walk through eternity and just admire his. Wow, we'll walk in heaven. We'll say, that sure is a nice crown that Paul has. (laughs) Wish I had one. Oh, wait, there's the rest of the verse here. Paul says, and not to me only, but unto all. Everyone say all. All All them that love his appearing. Hallelujah. There's a crown of righteousness that at that day of the judgment seat of Christ... Jesus is going to look at you and he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You fulfilled the course that you had for your life. Here, here's a crown of righteousness for you. Glory to God. That's some of our rewards. Some of you are going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well, you're done. (laughs) Instead of well done, he's going to say, well, you're done. I don't want to hear, well, you're done. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Here, take this crown of righteousness. That's what the Lord wants to do at the judgment seat of Christ. He wants to heap reward on us. He wants to bless us even more. Glory to God. Now, for the sake of time, we are running short, as always. <laughs> and I want to show you the last thing that we'll get. Go to, you don't need to turn there, but Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. Revelation 19 is talking about the second coming of Christ. And guess who gets to come back with him? We do. Now, the Bible says something here about what we're wearing. And it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Jesus for the marriage of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is come. And his wife, that's us, has made herself ready. Why? Look at verse 8. And to her, to the bride of Christ was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. In the Greek, that word righteousness is plural. Literally, righteousnesses. Meaning that you will be clothed according to your good deeds in this earth. That at that day, Jesus is going to be handing out crowns, and he's going to be handing out robes. And there's going to be certain robes we qualify for and certain robes that we won't qualify for. I don't know about you, but I want a good one. I want a good one, right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That word granted, it means to be rewarded or to be paid a wage that is due. 
and to her, to all the saints, Old Testament and New Testament saints, was granted that she should be arrayed. They, the believers, will be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen is the reward of their righteousnesses. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I want that crown of righteousness. I want that robe of righteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you get some help here today? What we're going to do is we're just going to keep everybody in their seats. Let's go ahead and close up our Bibles. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And without any music playing, with all the lights on, let's just go ahead and close our eyes, get ready to pray. With all the lights on, with no music playing in the background, what we're going to do right now is give you an opportunity to ask Jesus Christ into your life. Here's the good news. The good news is that God wants to give you crowns. He wants to give you robes of righteousness. He wants to clothe you with fine linen. He wants you to love the day of the Lord's return. There's people in here that are dreading that day. There's people in here today that if the Lord showed up in the eastern sky right now, they would cringe with fear because they're scared of facing Jesus, even though they might even be a believer. It's the greatest decision that we'll ever make. Have you accepted Christ into your heart? I don't mean have you said a token prayer. Have you given and committed your life to him? If you're here today, and if you've never committed your life to Christ, then right now is your opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. Today I'm not going to come and pull you out of your seat. I'm not even going to bring you down front today. I'm not going to hand you a microphone. But if you, as you sit here and you know that you're apart from Christ, and today's the day that you would like to call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, for if you shall confess with your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You don't have to worry about those tormentors. You don't have to worry about that everlasting fire. You don't have to worry about the worm that dies not. You don't have to be concerned with the outer darkness. Because there's good news. Jesus came to this earth. And he paid that judgment for you. He went to the cross. Your sin was heaped on him. He died. And three days later, he rose again. Hallelujah. So if you're here and you've never made Jesus your Lord, with eyes closed, no one looking around, and today's the day you want to ask Jesus into your heart, I'm simply going to ask you to lift your hand. As soon as I see your hand, I'll have you put it right back down. But if that's you, I thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down. As soon as I see your hand, I'll have you put it right back down, and I will lead.